It seems China is never far from the spotlight these days. One reason, of course, is that it's the country where COVID-19 first emerged, the city of Wuhan becoming as well-known as Shanghai or Beijing almost overnight. But by the second quarter, as the virus was spreading at pace, China was looking different. For example, in real estate markets, investment volumes between April and June were the least bad of anywhere in Asia-Pacific, and by some margin. The question now is, was this just a blip or a sign of things to come? What is it about China's market that's making the difference, or does it have anything to do with the market at all? We're going to be digging into these questions and more on today's show. Welcome to JLL's Investor Perspectives Podcast. I'm Art Patnode, your host. I'm joined by Stuart Crow, CEO Capital Markets in Asia Pacific with JLL. He's based in Singapore. And Jim Yip, Head of Capital Markets China with JLL based in Shanghai. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks, Art. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Art. Look forward to talk about China today. Great. Well, diving right into the numbers. Investment volumes in Asia Pacific fell 39% in the second quarter, and some cities saw close to 70% declines. China's investment volumes fell 15%, a big number in normal times, but looking downright dainty given the circumstances. Stuart, what was different about China? Yeah, thanks, Art. Uh, and, and obviously, China was first into the to the crisis, and, and hopefully, there's some truth to you know, sort of first in, uh, first out, and, and hopefully, that same trend will exist across other markets. And you're correct that we saw in Asia Pacific a sharp decline in in Q2, and and I think in Q3, uh, you will probably see the same, if not more, in Asia Pacific uh, against uh, 2019 volumes. I think transaction volumes in uh, in China were, were more resilient, um, as you say. Hopefully, that is partly because they're coming out of the crisis. But I think there's other other reasons also. Um, transaction volumes down around 15% in Q2 year on year, uh, which was an improvement on Q1, where, where volumes were down, I think, around 60%, uh, you know, which was right in the middle of the the immediate shock of the of the COVID crisis. Um, so you know, while the, the decline was very pronounced in Asia Pacific in Q2, mainland China was one of the more resilient markets, and, and there were others also, uh, Japan and Korea. We've talked about on previous podcasts. I think the common factor with all of these markets is they're very large, and most particularly have deep pools of domestic liquidity, and that in part has shielded them from from very steep declines in uh, transaction volumes. Yeah, while we've seen investors have you know, concerns about the, the broader outlook for the economy in, in China, and particularly you know, maybe some of the, the tier one office markets that we'll talk about today, how business activity is starting to open up. Uh, and we do think the transaction volumes will pick up, uh, maybe not in Q3, but certainly towards the latter half of the, the year. And uh, we're working on some larger transactions now that will, will hopefully help that. Yeah, I echo Stuart's um, comment on China. Uh, investment volume has been quite uh, falling 50% uh, in the first half of this year. What we see, the, the sentiment is uh, start to picking up. As you talk about, the say, the leasing transactions, uh, we see the first quarter, there's a negative take up, but the second quarter is a, is a, is a big jump and getting back to the positive leasing transaction volume. So on the investment volume, the uh, first half of this year will record 96.3 billion. Um, Shanghai still have half of this uh, transaction volume, still the most active market in mainland China. Beijing is the second, it was about 31% of the market share. On sector, 
the investors still like the office. Office has the um, major chunk of the transaction uh, share, about 70%. Um, investors these days more prefer assets with uh, stable cash flow. Office is still the primary, uh, but increasingly they were looking for alternative sectors like logistics. Well, it sounds to me like there's quite a bit that China has going for it. I just want to back up slightly and look at that $40 billion in dry powder waiting to be deployed around APAC. Now, this piled up well before the onset of the pandemic, but focusing on China and given the circumstances now, how much of this is going to end up targeting China or at least starting to look in that direction? Well, uh, China is one of the biggest markets in, in Asia-Pacific. And, and if you take uh, estimates uh, just via uh, population growth, demographic growth, and, and indeed the size of the built environment, it'll probably be the largest uh, real estate market in, in the world by uh, you know the next six to eight years. So transaction volumes are always going to be high and people are attracted to the many aspects of China's growth. And there is clearly, as we've talked about before, significant liquidity that sits on the sidelines in Asia Pacific. And I think just given the size of China, the opportunities that it provides, uh, it's always going to remain a key focus for investors. And partly um, that is, as I say, because of growth, but in part, investors' familiarity with China has continued to improve uh, over the last decade. The transparency of information around deals, around rents, um, and indeed opportunities has improved. Uh, And with that, investors, I think, have become a little bit more educated uh, and very much focused on the the broader demographic, urbanisation and consumer trends, some of which are very different to Western markets, just given this this rate of of train change. Uh, And like other markets, we're seeing strong interest in logistics and data centres that we've talked about before. But still given, again, this huge growth in in major cities, uh, the the rate of people moving into urban centres, and indeed the structural change in how transport infrastructure is uh, is moving people around, how uh, people are are living and and working and shopping differently in China. Uh, Unlike uh, some of the more Western markets, we're still seeing very strong interest in in the retail sector, for example, and and we have a couple of larger shopping centre deals that we're working on at the the moment, and um, interest remains high, both from foreign investors and local investors, to tap into that that, um, structural change you know, we still see very strong um, occupier uh, demand in, in the office sector and as the Chinese tech companies particularly and the financial companies continue to grow, uh, that's been a, a major focus of investors and China's homegrown technology giants themselves are, are becoming very, very large players globally and are very having a very big impact on the, their homegrown office market. So there is clearly other risks, the trade tensions, the virus is, uh, has created some uncertainty but firms continue to build out their um, their investment pieces in China, and obviously that will have positive implications on the transaction market. Sure, thanks, Stuart. And Jim, before you chime in, I just feel like it would be helpful to put this in a bit of context. I know that the way that investors have been thinking about China and these sectors that Stuart just mentioned, I know that this has evolved over the last 20 years. And I'm aware that you've been studying this evolution. So could you just shine a light on how the investment environment has changed in the last couple of decades? Yeah, sure. You look at the um, 206 Shanghai investment sales volumes about RMB, about 100 billion last four years. In 206, the figure is about one fifth of it. So that was a tremendous uh, 
increase of capital flow into the investment market over the last decade. I would say five times growth in in in, in terms of investment volume. So um, cross-border investors uh, occupy 50% of this investment volume. So they will see increasing um, capital from offshore investors, international investors. At the same time, the domestic investors are also increasing their 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 exposure to real estate in China. We just recently uh, launched this uh, JL Global Transparency Index. I'm very delighted to see that Shanghai and Beijing, two most leading investment market in China, has moved up the transparency rank, increasing uh, over the last 10 years, thanks to uh, so much of the deals being done and a lot of money coming in, and then a lot of transactions being opened up and, and the data has been collected. So uh, I would believe, I mean, this uh, particularly with this index is announced in this uh, COVID-19, uh, in this pandemic period, uh, where the data is much more important. So I'm delighted to see that uh, the, the, the China, billion China investment market jump in this index, which gives a much more uh, confidence to investors, because investors all the, all the last 10 years been saying that how we're going to put their money to is very much depend on how transparent the market is. Transparency is a very major criteria, particularly for the international investors. So as uh, as Stuart mentioned, the macro aspects of a China market as a growth element here, then I think that fundamentally the, on the investment market, there will need to be increased the transparency. I mean, uh, I'm delighted to see that it's been, uh, been improving. Over uh, over the long term, that's going to be help uh, a lot more capital has been allocation into the real estate in China. I mean, it's clear that growth and transparency are correlated to the rise in investment, what you were just mentioning there, Jim. You also mentioned data and prop tech or property technology. I, I just wanted to touch on this real quick because I feel like everything has a tech to it these days. You know, there's fintech, insure tech, reg tech. Uh, yeah, I think ed tech is for education. I mean, if prop tech and the big data approach are so supportive, can you just elaborate a little bit further on that? Yeah, China has a very uh, a vibrant a prop tech sector, also uh, particularly more important uh, in this uh, COVID-19. Now we are using these uh, WebEx, Microsoft Teams, all the, all, all the meetings being, uh, being uh, conducted into online. So that's also driving the data usage and driving the IDC development. Uh, it's kind of booming and is changing the way that we, how we lease the building, how we manage the building, and, and even coming on to uh, the transactions. It's been, uh, been it actually been recently all the talks of the town amongst all these investors. So um, that that helped to drive the, the growth in the prop tech sector. It also drive the growth uh, in the real estate investment sector. Yeah, it's also worth noting yeah, China is very much at the forefront of some of the alternative themes uh, that are driving the real estate market. And we've seen quite a lot of institutional investment into the alternative property sectors. And, and indeed, uh, the COVID uh, situation is accelerating uh, some of the themes that were already being talked about. So we've talked about logistics and, and data centers as relatively easy ones, but things like food distribution in China. So uh, we've had a lot of discussions with investors more recently about the whole food supply chain and, and particularly around cold storage and certainly around uh, co-living um, and whether that's a trend that uh, is going to take hold quicker uh, or indeed slower on the on the back of the, the crisis. So these trends are, again, not um, 
not just relevant to China, but uh, I think given the size and scale of the market, the very strong participation by the local investor community uh, that we're seeing some of these trends just get adapted very, very, very quickly. Uh, so which is great for foreign investors. But uh, yeah, the other thing that I would note when talking about these, the local investors and domestic liquidity, there's very strong competition for, for all of these deals. So foreign investors looking to get into um, particularly some of the more traditional sectors uh, are faced with growing pools of domestic liquidity. So competition for assets and good quality assets remains high. Yeah, you mentioned some of those those challenges. And we've talked a lot about some of the good things happening that have clearly had an impact on the investment market. But I'm sure there's some areas of the real estate space that still need improvement in China. Jim, what are those? Definitely, there are still some areas that need to be improved. China is still a country with capital control. Well, this is not uh, an issue 10 years ago, but still I would like to see that, that we could still uh, um, making a more improvement on that capital role. And also, um, China recently announced which called only a very narrow uh, scope of asset that you can put in rich. Well, this is only a pioneer scheme. Hopefully, when the government, the market have more experience on the redevelopment, that it could be open up a more a wider spectrum of income generating asset to it, and that also helps to improve the market liquidity. On the other part is, uh, I think, the uh, on the transparency, and there's actually one uh, very pressing uh, uh, area that I think the government need to think about it because uh, China real estate market is a leasehold market, so land tenure for different asset class. Uh, uh, would have like 40 years to 70 years uh, uh, land lease term. And uh, we are, these days we are talking about urban regenerations, uh, repositions of the old buildings. Uh, some of these old buildings are uh, mostly uh, 20 years uh, in uh, 20 years old. So they, um, they have the remaining land tenure from uh, 20 years to 30 years. That is a big hurdle for, um, for investor to acquire this asset even though they are representing very attractive reposition opportunity, but this short lease tenure is kind of a deterrent for investors being uh, looking at this asset. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how China addresses this. Now, one last thing I wanted to get to today. Let's talk logistics in China while I have you both here. So pre-COVID, it was one of the booming sectors given China's massive e-commerce market. And I'm wondering if this has changed at all given the pandemic. But certainly it must have. Uh, Jim, can you start us off here? Okay, yeah. Uh, I think the China market is, uh, logis- particular logistics market will continue to grow and, and expand. Uh, and simply the underlying story is the, the strong retail sales. i just give you some, some data. In 2010, the China retail sales is 16 trillion. 2019, 10 years later, is 41 trillion. It's uh, 22 times growth. By 2030, our forecast, the retail sales growth is uh, three times three times of, uh, of this year, so to 112 trillion. So the retail sales growth will continue uh, to drive the demand for logistics. Um, if you talk about the current stock uh, on logistics uh, size, we are, we are at the moment, um, we actually, also, um, in 2010, the stocks of existing stock of logistics warehouses is about 11 million square meter all across China. But uh, in 10 years later, we have 48 million. So the growth in the logistics warehouse is in tandem 
with the growth in retail sales. So if we expecting that by ten years in ten years time, there's a strong, even much stronger rise in the retail sales. That also we're seeing there's a still um, strong in demand for warehouse space. And it's exactly this point that investors are at this moment are flowing into cap, flowing a lot more capitals in the uh, logistics sectors. Um, in the eye of investors, logistics market still a very uh, kind of hot spot, a very favorite sector, despite the downturn in the market and logistics still uh, remain uh, high. Logistics are a very prominent theme uh, from investors. We've talked about it, it many times, uh, but still China you know, really remains at the, at the top of the list. Uh, it's been a, a prominent theme from foreign investors for well over uh, well over 10 years, but yet all of those uh, metrics that uh, that Jim referred to and, and others uh, continues to support very strong growth opportunities. Uh, and although that growth rate is slowing, the sheer size of an opportunity in the China logistics market is immense. And you know, there's new types of drivers that are likely to emerge in China's economy and, and part of it because of, of COVID, which inevitably change consumer spending. We talked briefly about uh, fresh food delivery um, and that's going to have an impact on uh, the warehousing market. I think we've also talked previously about medical and, and health is it going to be likely a, a key driver for warehouse space, particularly uh, obviously the very big pharmaceutical industry. And inevitably now as this market continues to mature, there's a constant upgrading of stock uh, and that is just providing constant demand and uh, a number that continues to stick in my mind is that really less than 10% of all the logistics stock in, in China is, is considered grade A. So there has been a lot built and there's continuing to be huge amounts of demand and yet there is still that requirement for constant evolution and, and upgrading of stock. So it continues to be a, a constant uh, conversation uh, starter for many of our big clients. Now, just a final question for you both. I just want to come back to looking at those second quarter numbers, which is where we started this conversation today. I think it's fair to say that investors are cautious and looking for some clarity about what may lie ahead. But Stuart, what is going to be that buy signal? And is you know clarity going to be as simple as that? Well, we're not seeing broad-based distress in Asia-Pacific as yet. Uh, you know, I've been saying that for for some time now, uh, but it's fair to say that we are seeing pockets of increased pressure. As income flows from assets uh, start to or continue to deteriorate, uh, and with the uh, with the ongoing uh, health crisis in in many countries, and, and indeed that second wave of of lockdowns, it's creating further pressure on assets. So with that pressure, we're starting to see seller expectations adjust. Uh, we've talked about that large amount of capital sitting in the in on the sidelines, and we're starting in certain markets uh, to see that bid ask spread um, narrow. Jim, do you have something to add to this? I think the China market is going to be a continued growth. I think mean, as long as investors continue to uh, increase the exposure to um, to China, I think invest in this downturn or in this uh, kind of a change of the market uh, environment, investors uh, will be increasingly look for alternative um, investment opportunities. As we've been mentioned about the opportunity in the logistics sectors, in the uh, in the ID sector, 
I think the trend will be will be seeing investors will start with their investing in the logistics sectors and more. But then once the economies picks up and and get back to the the usual momentum, the investor will be come back to the retail and the um, office uh, to a large extent. The underlying fundamental story about China is still very much uh, intact. So we have uh, very strong uh, retail sales. The GDP is uh, depressed in the first half of the year, but we're looking to be a, a, a rebound in the later half of the year. And there's uh, there's still a lot of capitals uh, waiting to um, come into the market. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty quite confident about the, the, the market in the aftermath of, the, of this pandemic. Uh, I think we'll, the market will see a significant pickup uh, towards the end of this year. Well, Stuart, Jim, many thanks for the discussion. I think it's really impressive to see just how much has changed and is changing. You know, as with so many things these days, all eyes will certainly be on how the rest of the year is going to play out. And thanks to our listeners for joining today. We welcome your feedback on the views shared here and hope you'll join us on our next podcast. Podcast.